welcome back everyone. It's Dermot just dropping in to do a bit of housekeeping before today's episode. Most listeners will probably be aware that we have a podcast Patreon in which people can choose to financially support the podcast. Up to this point, the lowest tier was €5, but we've now figured out how to add new tiers and have added a 250 tier. We're planning on releasing more episodes early so this tier and above will receive that benefit along with access to our Patreon community and the ability to send in questions for Q&As. I'd just like to take the opportunity to thank everyone who has supported the podcast either financially or by telling their friends or rating us on your podcast app or shouting us out on social media. You'd be surprised the effect all of these things have so thanks a million everyone. Today's episode will be an interview that Rupture's Dave Murphy did with Jane Crow, the Debenhams Henry Street shop steward, and PPP activist Saeed McLaughlin. The ex-Debenhams workers have been on strike for over a year in what is a very inspiring battle for what they rightfully deserve. I'll stick a link to some of their pages in the episode description in case there's any way listeners can show support. Right, so I'll hand over to Dave. Okay, so for... This episode of Rupture Radio, we're joined today by Jane Crow, one of the leaders of the Debenham Strike. Hello, Jane. Hi, how are you? And we are joined by uh, Saeed McLaughlin, a people before profit activist who was down at the strike quite a lot. Hello, Saeed. Hey. Okay, so just for our listeners uh, who may not be up to date or international listeners, uh, today we're going to be discussing the Debenham strike, which came to an end uh, last week. Um, the Debenham strike was a campaign waged by a group of workers in a, a shop chain called Debenhams, who at the beginning of the pandemic were informed by email that the company was going into liquidation, that they'd lost their jobs, and that their redundancy agreement, which was for two weeks of statutory pay uh, per year of service, plus an extra two weeks of redundancy payment per year of service, would not be honoured by the liquidators. Since then, they've gone through lockdowns, uh, spikes in cases, um, the different variants of COVID, they've gone through all the different seasons, and in that time, they've maintained a solid uh, picket on the shops to prevent stock being taken out by the liquidators, which would then be sold off, but would not benefit them in terms of getting their statutory redundancy. So after that campaign, um, the strike came to an end last week. So Jane, after over 400 days on picket lines, how does it feel now that it's finally uh, come to an end? Um, very, very mixed emotion. Um, you know, we're, we're glad it, it's over because we were very, very tired near the end. Uh, it was a very long campaign, 406 days. Um, and then we were angry as well that we didn't get what uh, we had set out to achieve, which was the statutory two weeks plus a, an extra two weeks, which we had um, done a, had a collective bargain for in back in 2016, um, which was voluntary redundancy back then. But, um, you know, those who stayed behind had to give an awful lot up for those to avail of the redundancy. Um, we had to work extra late nights, extra weekends, bank holidays, no pay rises, pay cuts. Um, you know, so we gave up a lot, hoping that that would still be there for whenever we needed it. And unfortunately, we were told um, it wasn't worth the paper it was written on then. 
So yeah, very mixed emotions. Glad it's over. Uh, glad we done it. Um, you know, and and sad we didn't get what we wanted, but we got something more than just the statutory. We got the extra three million as um, a well-being uh, training fund, um, which the government gave us. They said they couldn't give us the plus two in case they set a precedent, but they set a precedent by giving us the three million training fund. So you know they contradicted themselves. So yeah, um, a year. I'll never ever forget. <laughs> I'll be hopefully telling my grandkids about this one, and uh, yeah, and the, the people we met through the whole thing was amazing. Uh, you've Sive on here, love Sive. We all love Sive. Um, <laughs> great little warrior she is, and uh, yeah, so yeah, sad it's over because what do we do now? You know, we've. All we knew was getting up. Jane, I'm going to be still heading down to that loud and I'll just be sitting there by myself being like, where is everyone? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're still getting up, at, you know, you were getting up at five in the morning to go in and do your shift or you were having a snooze in the evening because you were doing it overnight. So, yeah, our, our body clocks, it's going to take a while to get back into normality. I feel like I've lost a routine or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not really great. sure what to do with myself. It was great because it gave us an extra year then with with the people who we worked with. You know, we it wasn't just we were made redundant and we never seen each other again. It gave us a whole year then to to still see each other and to get to know colleagues that we didn't really know in the stores because you would work different shifts and that. So we got to know people better on the on the picket lines as well so yeah and so as you were saying um you, there, there had been kind of a trade-off uh in terms of getting the deal for the two plus two so that 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 was the agreement that you'd get two weeks extra on top of statutory for um each year of service and you guys had traded off different conditions and different uh pay rights um over that period of time so you it was like you guys gave everything and then at the end of the day they just uh they took it away and so just in terms of the deal that she's got, so it's it's a three million uh, like sort of like training fund, which called a wellbeing training fund. So it's it's different. Uh, the training that you get on it is different to um what you would get, say, if you were on job seekers. Okay. It was a, a broader variety of, of courses you can do. Um and 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 also if you need equipment for that course, if you want to do a photography course and you need a camera, you know, the the your allocation of money can go towards buying that camera for you. Um uh if you needed a laptop, it would buy the laptop for you. Or if you were someone that after the year, you know, and you, you felt like the year took a lot out of you, there's the well-being part where you know there's um the, the your allocation of money could go towards um counseling services and, and stuff okay. like that. So, so it's, a, it's it's a lot broader then. It's a lot broader, yes. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm saying your allocation, we don't physically get the money into our hands. It's just say if, if we book a course they'll so take the bill for you. The course, yeah, yeah. And um just like as I was saying at the start, you did this campaign all like if people are at home and they think back 
to the very first day of lockdown and they think in their own lives everything that's happened to them since the first day in the pandemic and then on top of that you guys have been out like maintaining the picket through like the usual stuff like bad weather rain snow but then during during the pandemic like that must have been like a little bit extra stressful on you was it or was it something that you were okay with well obviously you know it, it was stressful in the beginning we didn't know what to do uh our first our first protests we done it was ourselves and patrick street started the ball rolling um and like maybe we were all over cautious, like, but we, we knew how to stand separated two meters. We had gloves, we had masks, we had um sanitizer, you know, so we were well prepared and, and something we're very, very proud of is um is that uh nobody on the picket lines got COVID through being on the picket line. I think something really important as well is that the the Debenhams workers, from the perspective of the left, the Debenhams workers really went out and showed us what was possible to be achieved during a pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Because the left relies so much on being out on the streets, being in your workplace. And both those things were very much taken away from people during the pandemic. And, you know, obviously that's understandable. But I think the Debenhams workers not only showed what workers can achieve during this pandemic, but also what the left can do during this pandemic and like definitely build confidence in the left overall. Yeah. And so Jane, just when the, when the, the vote on the ballot came through, I read your statement and like one of the things is how you feel that like you are let down by different, different groups. And like one of them is the government. So like in terms of the, the point of view of the Debenhams workers, um, like, like I, I, I know like I was on the Tala picket um, a lot and like John Lahar the Fianna Fáil TD would turn up regularly for a photograph and then and then disappear then go back into the doll and do what they do you know um, so like h- how do you feel that they let you down? They just as you say they were there for photo ops and that was it and then went in and bumped down every everything that was put in front of them to help workers they just voted it all down. I'm lucky enough. I live in Ballyfermish and we don't have any Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael elected. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't say I'll never vote for them because I never have. <laughs> but but we, do, <laughs> we do have a Green Party who I would always have given a vote to just to save the planet. You think you're doing good by giving it to them, but you know, I have emailed him just to let him know in his entire constituency, there's over 50 employees of Debenhams that he had, plus their families, their friends, their neighbours, that he won't receive the vote for again. You know, and, and that's what a lot of people who, who through the campaign said they will never, ever vote for Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael again. You know, uh, they know where their votes are going now. They're going to the people who helped them through the, the whole process. But the government, they just don't listen. I've said it before, I'll say it now. You know, they don't listen to the little people in the country. And it's the little people of this country that keep it going. You know, we don't earn the big books. We're not CEOs. We're not bringing, you know, we're not a tax haven. You know, we pay our taxes. We do our work and we keep the country going. But yeah, where the government just don't see us like that, they just yeah. forget about us. Because I, I I remember there was an, numerous times that this was brought up in the doll by like solidarity people before profit or, or different parties, and like a lot of times, like Michal Martin would look like he was like 
really like promising he's gonna do something. This'll get sorted out, and so was Veradker, and so are lots of them. But like in the end, like uh, they just like bow down before like the laws which benefit the big companies, and they bow down before um KPMG, and it was like they just made broken promises all over the place. This. Oh, they did, and you know. Michal Martin's favourite phrase was saying, you know, that Debenham's treated us shabbily and shoddily. Well, so did he. You know, he started off in the beginning saying, you will look out, you make sure, you know. But I mean, the Cahill Duffy, as they're correcting us now, it's not Duffy Cahill that keep correcting us as Cahill Duffy. You know, that report is sitting there and, you know, yes, it wouldn't have saved us completely, but there's parts of it that would have saved us. You know, that we wouldn't have gone through what we've gone through. And now the bill has gone through from Solidarity People for Profit as well, called, you know, the nickname is the Debenhams Bill. And that was kicked down the, the road for 12 months by the government. Why? You know, if they're saying this needs to be looked at now, why are they kicking it down the road for 12 months? They said that, you know, the left, they constantly would say to Richard and Breed and Paul and uh, Mick Barry that, you know, you're leading these people up the garden path. No, they didn't. They led us in a way that we could stand up for ourselves, not the government. The government led us up the garden path by in the beginning saying, no, this can't happen again. But yes, when a bill comes in to stop it, do nothing about it. So if you look like you're going to come in there to say something, right? But yeah, no, it's, it is really disgraceful. And I know like, like... They did. They kept saying, oh, feel so bad for the Debenhams workers. Like, oh, we're with you. And, and they always, after, like, after series, I remember them all saying, this will never happen again. This will never happen again. And it's happened again. And now they're kicking it down the, they're kicking it the can down the road. They're kicking it down 12 months. They'll probably kick it down further. And this will happen again because, like, retail is decimated. The high street's decimated. Like, Henry Street opened up again, like, this last week or two. And like, there's loads of people on it, but the shops aren't opening back up. Do you know what I mean? And uh, like, this is going to happen again. And the government, when they say that, when it happens again, the government are going to say, this will never happen again. And then yeah. it will happen again. Because yeah. they don't give a rat. Yes. Well, no, they could say that all they like, but the Debenhams people won't let it happen because yeah. I also told my local uh it's Patrick Costello's the green TD of my area. And in my email, I said to him, I said, look, you've kicked it down the road, but I can assure you that's 52 weeks away. Week 50, we will be outside the doll reminding you. I think that that's, really, that's you know? one of the most important things. And I think that's one of the most inspiring things for me anyway, um, coming out of, the, of this strike. Because like I've, I think I've been, I've been there from... Not quite day one, but maybe day four, <laughs> day two. I've been down there, and uh, so like you know, like I, you know, I've made really good friends at that picket. Like I've made uh, jail partners with Jane, <laughs> as you always say. Um, and I think one of the most inspiring things is as this thing went on and on and on, and the the end became further and further in sight the one thing that like every single worker always said to me no matter who they were they always said we're not doing this for ourselves we're not doing this just for ourselves we're doing this for every worker who comes after us and as this went on and on like people started saying like this isn't just about us this is about our grandkids this is about every worker in Ireland and I think that's one of the most inspiring things because 
like every time workers win something, every time workers dare to struggle, they don't just do it for them. Like obviously they're doing it for themselves, but they're also doing it for all workers. And when workers win, it's a victory for all workers. And when workers struggle, it's a victory for all workers because it raises workers' confidence to do the other workers' confidence to do the same. So I think the Debenhams workers have been a massive inspiration. And I'm really hopeful that the Debenhams workers will stick together and continue a campaign into the future because this Duffy Cattle, it's going to keep getting kicked down the road, as Jane said, and it's up to us to make sure it doesn't. And it's up to us to kick up a fuss about it. And I'll be with you 100% of the way anyway. And like That's kind of like the legacy of the, the strike. Like That'll be like improving conditions for everybody will be like the the Duffy cattle mightn't have been implemented in time for years, but like that you guys contribute and you wage the battle and that uh brings um all workers forward. Oh definitely, you know you, you haven't heard the last of us, let's put it that way, you know. And until yeah, until workers are, are looked after in these situations, you know, you haven't heard that the like well, you definitely haven't heard the last of me because you know it's it, <laughs> I have to look at my son going forward. He's in college, you know, and he works in hospitality uh, in the middle of all that. So he's out now at the moment and hoping he gets back now in, in uh, June or July. Um, but I have to look at him going forward that, you know, after me spending half my life, 24 years um, in one job that I loved, I absolutely loved it. I worked in about six, seven different departments in it. Um, you made lifelong friends. Um, you know, you might not like the company, the Debenhams as such, um, but you loved going into work. And for all that to be gone after that length of time, you can't see that happening to anyone else. Or that gentleman down in um, Limerick with 42 years service. You know, that's his life. And, and he was just given an email like everybody else, whether you were there for six months or 42 years, we all received that same email just telling us their job was gone. So, you know, yeah. it, people like that, you know, long term, you have to be looked after. Workers have to be looked after. I think that's so, um, like, that's it really shines a light on, like, it doesn't matter how nice your boss is or how good the company is to you. Because at the end of the day, like, if they can do that to someone working there 42 years, like it can be done. And the only people you can really, really trust in when it comes to your workplace is your fellow workers, the people who are on the same, who are doing the same stuff as you. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like, I know Mandate treated you guys badly. Do you know what I mean? I know they didn't do a good job as a union, but I do think that that's why it's so important for workers to join unions and to be involved in them. Because like that yeah. strike wouldn't have been possible without... All of you okay. have been in the union. Yeah, yeah. You know, people need to be in a union, no matter. I mean, we did criticise mandate through the whole thing. Yeah, they've done some good things too. You know, the WRC, we wouldn't have known about putting their claims in there. They've done that for us. Um, but everyone needs to be in a union. When I hear someone isn't in a union, I'm like, get into you. You have to be in a union. Because if you're not in the union, what can you do? You know, you can't have a vote on will we go out on strike or not because there's no one to lead you. There's no one to help you. Um, I was on my local council meeting there with Mandate the other night, even though uh, they were hoping they didn't send me the link to actually be on it, even though I'm the vice chair. They were hoping I wouldn't find out about it, but I did. 
and um I believe my DO then ran other DOs asking, my God, I'm up against Jane tonight. What can I possibly <laughs> advice is actually what was reported back to me. Um, so <laughs> even they're afraid of me, but um, you have to be in a union. I challenged them while we were there. We had someone from the NEC just happens to be on my local council. And, you know, I put it to her. I said, have you received the letters? And what I got was, well, we can't speak about that because it's before the NEC. I said, well, I'll speak about it. I said, shame on you. That those letters are in which is for six months and you haven't got back to anybody about, about the letters. But not even that you received them, you know. But yes, everyone should be in a union and just to organise. One thing I did compliment them on the other night is their training their training programme for shop stewards or, or uh, anybody on the, the committees is second to none. Because I did say, like, I might seem like a gobby so-and-so, and I do love it. I love chatting. But <laughs> public, I'd never spoken public. And I had said it to some of them in the council. I said, you know, I've attended conferences for 20 years. And the nearest I ever got to speaking was three years ago at the last conference where I stood up and I just seconded a motion in a room of 400 people. And that's the closest I ever got to, to speaking in public. That's that's mad because I remember the protest at the beginning out on Henry street, that started at Parnell square and went up to the shop and then you gave this great speech just right outside. So I thought you were a a seasoned, um, a seasoned uh, public speaker. Um, But just, uh, uh, on the union thing, so just um, this is one of the things that's in in your statement. So you've said how, um, you know, you only had like really the the two plus two in the first place because people were in unions and you had unions to represent you. So like on the one hand, you had it there that like being in the union, you could win gains essentially previously, and um, but then when when the strike uh, kicked off, um, like in the statement it says something along the lines that like um. When the strike, when the redundancies were put out initially, that like the idea that you just like that from uh, the union that like people are being made redundant, you just have to accept it and try and like negotiate a deal rather than try and fight them to 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 keep jobs. Um. So like in in terms of that, like so you said there's positives and negatives in in terms of it. what were the so you said like the positives out of training, but like what were some of the the like negative aspects? And like, is there stuff in particular like that you'd like to see changed? I know that like the Industrial Relations Act was a was a problem for for them. Stroke use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, the the Industrial Relations Act of nineteen ninety that that really needs to be relooked at because it is totally in favour of the employer. Yet again, you know, it restricts them. Um, it restricts strike movements. Like when we were doing blockades of blocking the, the trucks or wherever, we actually had to drop our mandate strike signs because the blockade is not allowed in a strike anymore. So we had to drop our strike signs and turn it into a protest when we linked arms. That's madness. That's absolute madness. Uh, that needs to change. You know, and and we were calling people scabs, you know, and and we were criticised for calling people scabs. Um, 
But years ago, you could do that because when you look it up in the dictionary, the word scab refers to somebody who crosses your picket line. And that's all we were saying, but yet we were criticised for doing that. Again, that all boils down to the 1990 Act. Um, as regards to the union, they didn't support us enough. They needed to support us. I'd say after week six of the strikes, we never seen an official anywhere. None of them came to us. They used COVID as an excuse, but their office from the Henry Street um, picket, it's only a two, three minute walk away. They never offered us the facilities to make tea, coffee, the toilets, nothing. They never popped down. You know, we were socially distanced, as I said. There was no COVID cases be, be, as part of the pickets. So we were the safest place going for them to come to <laughs> in. So, um, yeah, that was very disappointing. And um, they'll always say they couldn't, they couldn't, but they could have, you know. Um, and they were always uh, two steps behind us because we done, we were on our third protest so we had done two outside the store and we had done one at the banks before they done their first one. So they were always trailing behind because, oh, it takes time to organize, organize these things. The shop stewards got together and organized stuff in 24 hours yeah. around the country. So, you know, they, they really need to step back and look. The people down, you know, below, as I'll say, there's two, two layers to the unions. There's the top layers where you have the divisional organisers, the industrial relations officers, and you've got the general secretary. We won't talk about the NEC because that's a sewn-up thing. Um, they're all in each other's pockets. They vote each other in year after year after year. No new people can get onto that. Um, but those three, those three, the IRs, the DOs, and the general secretary all need to be looked at. You know, the promotions happen. You know, the general secretary, he was newly promoted last year when John Douglas stepped down. But who gave him the job? The national executive did. You know, there was no one opposing him. So he got the job. So, so things like that need to, you know, if you're a member, they always say the union is its members. Well, if that's the case, the members should have a say in who's represented them and who's running it. You know, so these these are all things that that need to change. I definitely agree, Jay. And I think is I think like the fact that you know, like Jerry Light, he's the head guy in Mandate now, right? Like, yeah. he's, how much money does he make annually? He makes what? I think it's one hundred and forty thousand. One hundred and forty thousand. A Mandate. I I used to be a member of Mandate. I changed unions recently because I changed work, but um, like work type, but uh. When I worked in bars for five years, I was in Mandate because they represent bar workers. Mandate represents the service industry. They represent bar workers. They represent like the lowest paid people in our society. And the idea that they can represent the lowest paid people in our society well when they are making bank. Do you know what I mean? It makes no sense. Like union bosses should be on similar wages to the people they represent and because that's I think that's really important because it shouldn't be a situation where we separate the higher ups of the union from the lower downs of the union and I think that's one of the biggest problems 
It's also yeah. the way workers view unions now. Because workers, I mean, the Debenham strike was one of those places where even I started realizing, like, and in theory, I was always like, oh, the workers of the union, blah, blah, blah. But the Debenham strike was the first place I really saw that in action. I really saw the workers taking ownership of that and just doing what they needed to do. And I think in Debenhams, even though the union let you down, you guys did not let the union down. And you guys really proved what workers in the union can do together. And you showed that the workers are the union. But like I've been in the, I've I've been in a union since I was started working when I was like 17. And like I had never engaged in the union at all because they don't they make it difficult to do that. Do you know what I mean? And they separate it out and people then kind of don't really identify themselves as being the union. They identify the union as some kind of higher up thing that's like, oh well, that's up there, you know what I mean? That's not really my thing. So we really have to I think the only way we and I completely agree with these changes that you have like put forward Jane and I think the way we do that is that we try and convince hundreds of thousands of workers to join their unions and to make those changes from the inside because it's only from the grassroots and from the members because it's not going to come from the top it's only going to come from the bottom exactly yeah yeah and and you know the people that work in the offices and mandate um uh, you know they have been in touch with us you know that the secretaries they have got in touch to see how we're doing and the media people, you know, all, all the people on this, the lower tier of the union, they've all got in touch with us to see how we're doing. And, um, you know, after arrest and, and being dragged out that night and, you know, when I was unwell, they all got in touch to see how we were, how we're doing. But the top tier, no, my, like, you know, my industrial relations officer was on the meeting the other night. I haven't seen or heard from him since last May. But yeah, he's supposed to be my rep. (laughs) You know, so things like that that need to change. I think it's like pointing like towards like the idea of more democracy like that. Like people are there to represent you. And if they're not representing the rank and file, the rank and file should have the right to give them the the heave-ho. Well, just one thing you mentioned there which is going to be uh, coming towards the end of the questions is uh, so like we've gone through the unions, we've gone through the government, but I think the other people that just faced down during the, the strike was like the courts and the, the guardy. I know you were saying you were jail buddies or whatever, <laughs> but um, so I, I think like fairly quickly or fairly, not fairly quickly, but fairly easily, uh, KPMG decided they were going to get an injunction and they went to the courts and they got they got it they got it quite easily. But how did you feel that like the like I know that like is where there was like a couple of I know down on Parnell Street or Henry Street in particular that was like like a bad incident. Um and I know that like at other places like people were getting like their names taken by Gardy or whatever. Um so like did like just from your normal life, was that something that you would expect it from the Gardaí that they'd be down on you like a ton of bricks? Or <laughs> if you say yes to this, no, it'll sound. <laughs> Can I say really quickly? I wrote an article, um, like near the beginning of the strike about the guard response because even though I didn't have that much faith in the guards, I was still, you know, shocked to see it in person, see it in action. And I think it was really like, because the same day that you guys had one of your first protests outside Henry Street, which were less than, I think it was 15 of you or less. They were completely social distance, masked on. You had a really heavy guard of presence. You were threatened and you were, you know, moved on really quickly. 
And on the same day, at the same time, Gemma O'Doherty and her like goons were outside the forecourts protesting the lockdown restrictions. And they had nothing. There was no guard of presence around them. And like same with the kind of the far right anti-lockdown protests. We saw a lot, a lot of that, a lot of leeway for that at the beginning, whereas the Debenhams workers were immediately shut down really quickly. And I think kind of just illustrated really clearly that the guards are on the side of capital. Do you know what I mean? They're on the side of big business and the people who can pay. And it's not that every individual guard is like terrible, but it's like that institution is the arm of the state. It's they're they're there to like enforce what the state does. And the state's just looking out for those who are in power and those who are already wealthy. Yeah, yeah. Um the only deal as I had ever had with the guardy was Oh, God, I, I used to be what they used to call a store detective. And um, that was play clothes security, just walking around looking for shoplifters. And that's I, that's how I started off in Debenhams. That's the only time I'm going to court with the arrests and wherever. So I would have had a good rapport with the guardie. But um, then when we went in, um, when we fell in the window that day, um, <laughs> you mean when I pulled you in that window, James? <laughs> so just for anyone that doesn't know, this was like an occupation of one of the stores that they... That, that we they, found they... a broken window <laughs> and we <laughs> fell in it. Six of us fell into it. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got upstairs, we blocked all the uh, lifts uh, so no one could get up to us quickly. And we got out onto the balcony and we were cheering out in the morning with loads of supporters on the, the ground with people going to work, cheering up with us. And yeah, it was good. It was amazing. I mean, I was standing there and my heart was pounding, the adrenaline was flowing. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing something like this. That you was know? really fun. It was a bit mental. But um, the guards used to came and 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 took the six of us away in in, in guard events and processed us individually um and then we were uh searched if we'd runners on with laces they were taken um i had a string in my coat so my coat was taken our jewelry was taken off um and we were put into individual police cells um but yet at the same time down in uh, Patrick Street in Cork, they actually climbed roofs and broke in through a window and got in and were left there for three days. And the guardsy were just popping in, checking on them. Yeah. So it, it was a complete, you know, difference of how Henry Street was t- treated to anywhere in the country. And do you think that was because like Henry Street is seen as the more like working class part of the city centre then? I think so because uh, Store Street was their guard station. So they would be used to dealing with more hardened stuff. Yeah. And they came with and that. And they also, Store Street also have a reputation for being a lot more aggressive than other guard stations. Like I know people who've been evicted by guards in Store Street and they're a lot more willing to they're like arrest first ask questions later is what i've heard about story street and and when when we done our protest the first one at the central bank um you know the guards came over and people said you know who's in charge and i was like oh don't tell us they're going to move us off and you know he was directed over to me and i said hi guards he said i'm just here to check if they're okay and i went sorry <laughs> i couldn't <laughs> 
I said, are, are you from Star Street? He said, no, love. He said, we're from a different card station. We're not like them. <laughs> 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 Which was amazing to hear, like, you know. So, um, yeah, that, that was mental now, too. So but then you had... The way you were ha- manhandled as well, like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so I think that's that, that that's the thing that like we are going to come on to. So like over the last few weeks, as the, the as the the government and the the guards were trying to end the the strike, basically the to get the get into the merchandise and break the strike, uh, all across the country we've seen like seen stuff online. We've seen videos of uh, the guardy being used to like break the strike effectively to like throw people out of the way so that they could get the, the scabs in to pack up the, the merchandise that was left in the stores. So that was like the guards coming in heavy on you. So uh, Soiv was saying there that in the Henry Street store, they came in particularly heavy. I saw the videos of it online. Um, so I think I think both just being carried out. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's what she She's my criminal partner. Um <laughs> We we blocked the trucks. Myself and five were up there in Blanchardstown as well, and we were picked. We were sitting and we were picked up there too. And every time, every time, every time a guard rocks up, Jane looks at me and she goes, "Here we go again." <laughs> and we just, for some reason, when we locked ourselves behind the gate in the loading bay, don't that it's like we were two magnets dropped yeah. together. We ended up sitting beside each other with our backs up against the gate as well while we were sitting on the ground. Anytime yeah, we do anything bold, we're always together, taking each other on. They were very heavy-handed. I mean, before we knew it, we had supporters coming in because I'd gotten a tip-off. It was going to happen that night. And we had people coming in. We put red alerts out. But it happened so quickly that the guards arrived and barricaded us in that no one else could get into us. So yeah. we had locked and we had... um. Uh, locks around them that they had to get a, an angle grinder out to, to get through but the guards just kept coming and coming and coming and then you had the um, like the riot squad came as well and the armed police and guards you, know, you have to remember that the majority of strikers you know on the pivot were 90% of them were women um, yeah. and you know, a lot of us were 40 upwards as well. And we were, you know, we hit armed guardy for mummies and nannies. And, you know, it was it was mental. And we were very, very badly treated now. Um, we literally dragged out. I remember Michael O'Brien. Oh, my God. I only seen a different angle of how he was escorted out. He was literally lifted off the ground and thrown into the air out. Uh, because they didn't want anyone filming inside to witness what they were doing to us. Yeah. Um, Dude, yeah. I was live streaming the whole thing and they tried to grab my phone off me several times. Yeah, it was. Uh, like when they dragged me out, um, I had a zip up fleece on. So that came up over my head and my right arm and was just hanging off my left arm. But then my top was caught up as well and that was just hanging off my left arm. And they broke my bra strap as well. So when they eventually put me on the ground in front of everybody, yeah, it to be I don't know about seventy people there, or and all the guards on top of all that. When they put me down, I was practically naked from the waist up. Then, 
I remember which, that happening and everyone in the crowd, like so many people were live streaming and my thought was like everyone moved their phones away immediately to try and give you a bit of privacy, but everyone yeah. was really distraught. Like I remember Carmel, who's like a really good friend of Jane's and a worker as well. She was screaming, like almost crying. She was like, let me get to my friend and the guards. Because like, it's really like, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Jane, but it was really um, distressing for a lot of people to see that because you're probably one of the strongest women a lot of us know. You're one of the strongest people a lot of us know. And you have a huge amount of respect of all the people who've been involved in this picket. And to see you get treated like that by the guards was absolutely like it really rubbed everyone the wrong way and it really upset everyone like Richard even he was screaming Richard Boy Barrett he was screaming at the guards when that happened and he was trying to get to you and they were pushing him back and he was like get your hands off her as was Carmel and as was me like and as was everyone who was there like it was really watching that happen was really shocking because it was like the absolute force that they carried you out with was disgraceful yeah, yeah. and I know some of them were caught saying you know I was, ex- uh, sorry for no, I was extremely ill uh, at Christmas. And um, people were saying, you know, Jesus, get an ambulance for her the way you're back to treating her. She she almost passed away. You need to get someone there to look after her, you know. But there was no way they were bringing an ambulance in for me. Through no. all, They had the streets blocked off all around the area as well. As, as Carmel would say, you know, if, if a tourist was to walk in on Parnell Street, they would think there was a serious incident after happening, not just yeah. a few pe- women picketing, you know? Yeah. You, you've kind of gone through some of your, your, your favourite memories here between the two of you. Um, but kind of, if you had one favourite uh, memory uh, from the whole thing, what would it be? My favourite memory is it's always up there is my mum and dad were both shop stewards. So uh, it's not off the, the crowd. I licked it. But um, when, when I was arrested and put in the police cell and we were released and then we went back to the store and we had, you know, a coffee to calm down. And then we just done an impromptu march. We done a, a gathering out the front of the store. I spoke. I don't know how I did. But when I got home to the house, because my car was at my mum and dad's, my dad opened the door and he's 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 77. And he started bowing in front of me and called me his hero. And that is my favourite memory of the whole thing. That's so sweet. Mine's probably, um, this is an odd one, but I think mine's probably the night shifts which I know is, they weren't, they were tricky to do. But I, I think during the summer, I did like an, two or three night shifts a week. And and it would be eight hours and it was cold and it was a bit miserable. But you had the best chats. You had so much camaraderie. Um, you got to know so many people on those night shifts. And it was just a bit of crack. Like a one night we fucking, sorry, excuse my language, but one night, we, there was like a dance going around on TikTok that was Cardi B's WAP. And we had all the workers down, like learning the dance and we like filmed it and everything. We used to have people come down with violins and squeeze boxes and everything and playing music. So like, even though those night shifts were probably the hardest to get people to and they were the longest and they sucked, there was so much crack was had on them. I think it was like a party every time we went down. So I really enjoyed them. 
And I also just get to know everyone. That's, that's the main. it. I never thought I'd own a flask ever again in my life, but yeah, to, <laughs> we're so kind. <laughs> right. get a flask for the overnight, you know, to keep you warm and that. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, and you know, uh, Solidarity People for Profit, uh, Paul Murphy Rise gave us so much support. So now it's just, I feel it's my time to give back to them. Um, and to help them in any way I can by doing the likes of this, this podcast and any Zooms they want me to do, anything they want me to turn up to and, and speak. Um, yeah, it's my turn to give back to them. And and, and that's what I see um, over the next little while anyway, before I retrain on my retraining grant. <laughs> You're going <laughs> to regret saying that. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> would be good. Do you have any plans yet? Or are you just still just gathering everything together having a time to think you yeah. <laughs> haven't stopped <laughs> fair play thanks Jane so so thanks Soive and a uh, real thanks to uh, a real uh, working class hero Jane for coming on the show and fair play to all the Debenhams uh, workers so we will leave it there for this episode and we will be back with another episode fairly soon. Oh, it was lovely. That was nice. It was nice. It was actually nice to kind of wrap it You wake up and your head's fucked. You stick your trousers on and your last bit of makeup. Your last coat button falls away, flowing through life another day. One shoelace bigger than the other people on the bus shouting at one another. Kind of super guy moment.